Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're concluding this teaching series called Vampires. And I haven't said it yet in the series. I wanted to wait until the end because I wanted you to come back. And some of you, you are pretty religious. And so when you hear things like vampires without context, you get afraid, you get judgmental. So I just want to admit today, I haven't said it yet, but I'm saying it now, that I actually enjoy vampire movies. I do. Anyone else here enjoy Perfect Place for Imperfect People? How many of you enjoy like six of you, seven, 12 of you? Okay, so we're the minority. Now, I want to make it clear, okay? Because some of you, you're not raising your hand because you think vampire movies are about those sparkly vampires and like Washington State. No, I'm not talking about the romantic versions of vampire movies. And I'm not even talking about like the scary versions of vampire movies. I'm talking about the action-packed vampire movies. Like where, where there's like karate and katanas. In fact, um, Jessica, my wife and I, we both enjoy watching those movies. When we first got engaged, people were really shocked that, that we were engaged, that we were even dating. They're like, you have nothing in common. Why are you two together? I said, no, oh, contrary. We, we have many things in common. Jesus, love for student ministry. We both like Benihana's. And we both love watching vampire movies. Like, we, we love these vampire movies. And there's, there's two specific franchises that my wife, Jessica, and I really tend to enjoy. I'm not going to share the names of these franchises because they are violent. And so I don't want you guys to like think it's a recommendation to watch with your children. No, you, you shouldn't, definitely. But I'll give you a little hint of these franchises. Uh, I, both of these franchises are action-packed vampire movies that the hero has been kicked out of the coven and now is out to exact revenge. Anyone know what a coven is? Again, this isn't Christian. This isn't Bible, okay? This is culture. A coven of witches, a coven of vampires is a family or a large gathering of these creatures. And the head vampire, he determines who is in the coven by how he bites and who he bites. If he bites you, you become a vampire. You're now in the coven. But also he determines who is let go of the coven by who they banish. If they banish you, you can no longer be part of this family again. And so Jessica and I, we loved watching these vampire movies in fact, the perfect date for us would, would be like after a student ministry night on Wednesday, we go to Benihana and then we come home and just for two hours, we'd watch vampires get demolished, get this, by a half-breed vampire who was kicked out of the coven. Any, anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone enjoy those movies? No, I'm trying again. One person. Okay, I talked to my therapist about it. I really did. I said, why, why am I so interested in these, these vampire movies? And she said, well, it could be because you see yourself as that hero. You see yourself as as that half-breed vampire that was kicked out of the coven. I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right. Yes, it is. Want to get revenge on all those vampires that kicked me out of there. Now, I've explained this a little bit in this series and also uh, in, in weeks as they pass, as I talked about my past. But I grew up in a very religious Korean church. 
And because they are very religious and because they're culturally Korean and I'm not full Korean, I was not treated with the same amount of attention as the other Koreans. I was overlooked. I was undervalued. And because of that, because of the constant overlooking me and and ignoring me, I experienced a whole deal of church pain, religious church pain in my growing up as a Christian in the church. And it just got so overwhelming. I just felt so manipulated. I felt so spiritually and and emotionally abused that I wasn't going to allow this anymore in my life. And at the age of 21, I go to my pastor and I say, listen, I need a break. I, I need to step down from my responsibilities. I've lost my first love. I just feel like I'm constantly trying to perform and make everyone happy, and I'm not making my Heavenly Father happy. I need to get back to that place. I gotta step down for a season. Can I take the summer off from my responsibilities just so I can fall in love with Jesus again? And the vampires, oh man, they banished me. I'm not making this up. All the students that I invested in over several years that I was discipling and coaching and, 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 and loving, they were communicated the very next day not to talk to me anymore. And I didn't know this until that next day, which was a Sunday. I show up to the church for the first time with no responsibility. I'm just going to worship. I'm going to fall in love with Jesus again. I get out of my car. I walk up. Sorry, Eric. You are not welcome here anymore. What? They kicked me out of the church and did not allow me to talk to anyone else again. Again, that's why I talked to my therapist about these things. But I just felt like, man, this is supposed to be my family? They're my brothers and sisters in Christ, yet they treat me so terribly. And I realized some of you, some of you have experienced that before. Some of you have been hurt by church people or pastors, entire denominations where you thought they had your best interest and your back and then you are transparent with them and you're vulnerable and they banish you. Or maybe you had some issues. Maybe you were struggling with sin and instead of coming and, and, and supporting you and walking with you through it, they said, oh, he's a sinner. Don't, don't be around the sinner. Or maybe, maybe you're on the other end of it. Maybe someone in your life has been toxic, has been a blood-sucking vampire, and you've released them. But now, they seem to have repented, and they're coming back for you to receive them. And just like the lore of vampires, if you don't let them in your home, they could not come. You're saying, no, I'm not willing to let you into my house again. I'm not willing to open up the door again. I want to talk about that today in a teaching that I've titled, How to Hug Our Vampires. I want to help us today and look at these different scenarios through the Word of God and see how we can learn to release and receive to get to the place where we can eventually hug these people in our lives. And I want to continue on this story that we started last week. Last week, we started a story called The Prodigal Son. And I find it interesting. Again, it's a misnomer because it's not really a story about a son. It's a story about two sons and a father. The first one we talked about last week, he was a son who said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. He took it. He wasted it. He hit rock bottom. And then he realized, oh no, what have I done? He goes back to his father. His life is changed and his father receives him. Now, the father had every right 
to reject his son. In fact, culturally, there is a ceremony called Ketzah. It's found in the Talmud and in an ancient Israel. What they would do if someone had taken their, their resources, left their family, and began to live with Gentiles, if they came back, the, the, the city, the people, the family were, in, were enabled to enact this ceremony called Ketzah, where the, if, as the son is coming home, the elders of the family or the elders of the town, they would go and they would meet him and they would carry a, a clay pot. And they would break it at his feet, symbolizing that our relationship is now broken. Your, your connection to your family is now broken. Your connection to this community of faith is now broken. You cannot come back. We don't receive you. This was something that was common practice to, to situations like this, this story that Jesus was telling. But this didn't happen in the story Jesus was telling, did it? Again, I want to make this clear. This isn't a true story, but it is true that Jesus told this story as an example of the Father's heart that seeks and saves those who are lost. And so as Jesus is sharing this story, a lot of people in their minds, the listeners back then are thinking, we know what's going to happen. We have an idea of what the Father is going to do. He's going to separate. He's going to enact this ceremony and say, you are not received here anymore. You are banished from the coven. But he doesn't do that. He tells a different story. He tells a story that people weren't expecting to hear. And I believe that he did that. And I believe his word shares with us today his heart so that we can understand that he wants to change our story. He doesn't want you to continue to live by the narrative of your past or what people expect of you or what people think is, is natural with your actions in your life. He wants to change your story today. And I believe here's what Jesus wants us to know when we go out and rebel, but we turn around and we repent when we come back home to him. Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, we read this last week, let me read it again. Father, I've sinned both against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. C cover him just like the blood of Jesus covered us and made us part of the family again and put on him a ring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet in that time you need to understand this, a ring was a way of transacting business this would be as though today someone says I need you to bring the notary okay legally we have to put this child back in the, the, the will we have to give this this child the, the authority and the name back on all our accounts he has squandered his money he's been without but we need to bless this son again legally he put a ring on so that now he can have authority. Now he, he, can, he can administer on behalf of the family. Some say, oh, he doesn't deserve that. He, he doesn't. But the father continues on. He says, I want you to put shoes on his feet. Back then, slaves did not wear shoes. And apparently this guy was in such a desperate situation that he sold the shoes on his feet. But the father saying, no, you are no longer a servant. You are a son. I will not let you endure this shame. I'm going to put shoes on your feet. Speaking of shoes, we're, we're in our final week of heart and soul where we have the ability to bless some kids in our community who don't have shoes, to bless them with clean socks and clean shoes. Why? Because we want to honor. We want to let them know that you have dignity, that you have value. This is what the father did for this son. And again, you're saying, he doesn't deserve that. Of course not. It's grace. 
God gives grace. Grace is unmerited. Grace is undeserved. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness and the grace that the father displayed on this prodigal child who has returned home that's changed him and will continue to change him. And then he goes overboard. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, the father said, bring quickly the best robe, put it on a ring and shoes on his feet. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He goes over the top. He says, get the event coordinator. Pull out the tables, okay? Bust out the DJ. Kill the cow. We're not gonna have ribeye. We're not gonna have ribs. We're gonna eat all of Bessie, okay? We're gonna get the entire cow. We're gonna barbecue. We're gonna celebrate for my son. He was lost and now he's found. What the father is doing is setting a precedence. Everyone envisioned him following out this ceremony to say, you are separated. But what the father has done is something different. And now because he's done it, the rest of the community is expected to do the same. Because he's welcomed him in, the rest of the community is now expected to welcome him. Because he's rejoicing over this son, the rest of the community is supposed to rejoice over this son. The father set the precedent. And so I want to tell us another hard word today, but it's a good word for us. And it may not come easy and you may not like it, but I'm telling you, if we live it out, we will be set free. I want you to write this down. If God embraces someone, you ready for this? We need to embrace them. I got one amen. Thank you. It's not easy, is it? If God embraces someone, we need to embrace them. If God welcomes someone in, we should also. For God so loves the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and we should embrace them as well. We should celebrate when God does something in their life. This is the perfect place for imperfect people. And so we will welcome everyone like our Father does. And this is a good word for us as a church community as well, to welcome and embrace everyone the Father does. But it's not easy, is it? That's why some of you guys, you're not saying amen. You're not responding back. It's not easy. We talked about it last week. How can we? How can we receive them? How can we embrace them? After all that they've done, after all that they didn't do, after the trust that they have broken, how can we do that? They're vampires. You're telling me that, that if they say, I'm sorry, and they come knocking at our door, that we have to receive them? That's not easy. And in this, our year of release, I'm all about releasing them. Let go of them. Get out of my life. But to receive them again, how can we do that? Again, today, I want to continue to look at this parable of the prodigal son, but I don't want to look at the prodigal son. I want to look at the second son. Because the reality is, 
Although we may start off like the prodigal son and go and live our life and waste our, our inheritance and do what we want, but, but we come back and Jesus finds us and saves us. Although that's many of our stories, I found in my experience being a pastor for the past 14 years that a lot of us, we end up like the other son. We start off like the prodigal. We rebel. We do what we want to do and then we realize one day, whether it's rock bottom or we realize that all of this is fleeting, that this is not the life that God has created me for. And so we turn our eyes and we repent and we look to him and we ask him to save us. But what happens to so many of us is we forget the grace of God over our lives and the love of God for other people and we focus far more on our doing for God instead of being with God that we become what we've never wanted to. We become a whole different type of vampire even though we're not aware of it. We become a religious vampire. We move from rebellion to religion and we become a vampire. How does that happen? How does this transformation happen? And how do we get out of that? How do we go back to being in relationship? Luke chapter 15, I want you to read this. It says, Luke chapter 15, verse 25, it says, now his older son was in the field and he came near and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. It says that the older son was where? It's bolded. Say where? The field. That's important. Where was the prodigal son before he turned around and came home? The Bible says he was in the field. He was in the field tending the pigs. Remember, Jesus is sharing this story. He's making this up. So every word is very intentional. Could Jesus be saying that the prodigal son, as he was in the field and far from God, that this second son, this religious son, was far from God as well? That he was lost as well? He turns around, he starts coming near to the house, and then he hears this dancing. That's funny, I find that interesting. He hears music, and then it says he hears dancing. You ever heard dancing before? Like, this isn't like slow. He hears dancing. It's like the electric slide, boogie, woogie, 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 you know, ha. Ha, 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 right? The cha-cha slide, everybody clap your hands. You're not clapping your hands. You guys don't know how to party. You have no idea how to party. There's such a party going on. It's stomping the yard. It's, it's line dancing. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. They hear the music and the son realizes this is in my house. So he goes and he asks what's going on. Verse 26, he called one of his servants and asked, what do these things mean? He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because what? He has received him back safe and sound. This brother is angry because his sibling has come back and been received by the Father. He's been received. Things have been reconciled. And he's upset. He believes this should not have happened. My Father should not have had grace on him. After all that he's done, the shame he brought to our family, and you're going to receive him, and you're going to throw this party, verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. Some of us today were angry for good reason, but we are angry and we refuse to allow anyone else to come home. 
We refuse to allow our hearts to celebrate when that person repents. And I need you to understand what's happening here is a far greater disrespect than the first son. Every theologian all agrees that what this second son did is a far greater offense than the first son. And the reason why is because it was public. The first son got his father in private, said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And he left. But the second son, the disrespect and the dishonor that he shows by not following through with what the father wanted, not celebrating and embracing who the father did publicly, it cut deeper because it wasn't private. It was public. little side note here since we're talking about baptisms. You know, what really fascinates me and frustrates me in our culture today as Christians is, is when, when celebrities or influential athletes or politicians, when, when they go public with their faith, the response I see so often from the church of Jesus is that we critique and criticize their salvation instead of celebrate it. Oh, they got saved? I don't really believe that. Really? Do you know what they were doing before they, they got baptized? Yeah, probably the same thing you and I were doing before Jesus found us. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And this is why we celebrate publicly with baptism. We're not questioning, we're celebrating with you. You believe Jesus is your savior when you go down. It's a symbolism of your now. Your old life is buried. When you come back out, you're raised to walk in newness of life. And we celebrate that and we applaud that and we come together and, and we, 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 we support that. But this son, he did the opposite. Did my brother really repent? Did he really come back? And then he says, your son, right? Like he's not his brother. Your son did not your son. Didn't he say that? Some of us, we reject the people in our own family and we disown them for what they've done. And I get the hurt is severe, but the father, he released. He did not disown there's a significant difference. He didn't disown his son. He released him. And the, the first son, the older son cannot celebrate. And just like the father had the ability by law to punish and imprison the prodigal son, the father has the same power by law to punish this older son who refuses to celebrate. But how does he respond? Verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. Once again, this good father goes out to find a lost son. Once again, this father goes out to receive a lost son, to offer grace to a lost son. But this time he offers it not to someone who is sinning, but someone who is a rule keeper. 
Not just to someone who is simply rebellious, but also someone who's rebellious and religious. Listen to him. He says, he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never, say never. I love never and always. You want to start a fight? Use those two words. I never disobeyed your command. Really? You're so perfect. You did everything your father asked 100% of the time. You must be Jesus. I, I never did that. You always never. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. Apparently he's Jamaican. He wants some goat. Realize that today. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is redefining who is lost. See, Luke chapter 15 is, is three parables that talk about the heart of our Heavenly Father, how he seeks those who are lost and celebrates when they return. But in this final passage, this final story, Jesus is redefining who is lost. And he's communicating to us that the Son who stayed and did and focused so much on his doing instead of his being, he was just as lost as the son who rebelled and said, I'm going to do what I want. He's redefining who's lost. Do you know that churchgoers can be lost? People who call this place home and say they're familiar, they can be lost because they focus more on what they've done rather than who they are in him. And that's called religion. And Jesus did not come for us to be part of a religion called Christianity. Jesus came to open up a door for us to be in relationship with the God of all creation. Religious people say, I've been slaving for you. I've worked so hard. I've done everything. I don't miss a service. I give generously. I sign up to serve. I brought the shoes. See what I've done? And they miss who they are. He says, this son of yours, he's not seeing people as a family. He's just seeing them as sons and daughters of God. Again, I understand the pain is significant, but if all we do is see other people as God's problem and not our people, I'm telling you, the poison will eat you up inside. You keep on holding on to what they've done or what they haven't done, it will poison you from the inside out and you'll become what you never wanted to be. You'll become a vampire. And if we don't learn to release this belief and this behavior, it affects all of our being. Listen to him. He says in verse 29, you never, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He couldn't see his father's faithfulness. He couldn't see his father's provision. But even worse, and I hope this isn't you today, he missed his identity. He could not see who God was as his father and who he is to his father. He was so focused on his productivity that he forgot his identity. He kept on looking on what he can do for the father that he missed the father's love for him. 
And some of us today, we're in that place. We're trying so hard. Jesus saved us by grace, but now we're trying to work off that debt. All the wrong that I've done, I gotta pay that back, or or I gotta prove myself. I gotta be the best. And you focus so much more on your prayers and your activity and your giving, but you overlook your identity. If you're in that place today where you find yourself constantly just trying to to please God and to please God and you feel like you're so far from him that you haven't done enough, I want you to hear how Jesus describes the Father, his response to us. Luke 15, 31. And he said to him, the Father said to him, Son, you are always with me. He's here. And when you leave, he's with you. And when you blow up, he's still present. And when you mess up, he's right by your side. He loves you. And he stays with you. Always. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. You're trying so hard to to earn God's blessing in your life when he's already given all of himself to you. And one day in eternity, we're gonna rule and reign with him, but right here on this side of eternity, we have access to everything that is his. The Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. He's our big brother who has set us free, but we get all the benefits of being a child of God. Some of us, we don't realize that. And we're trying to earn and we're trying to work our way. We don't want to be like them. I don't want to go back to who I used to be. And so we, 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 we try to just, just to earn his favor. And he's saying, I'm with you. You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Listen, as long as you try to earn your salvation or God's grace or God's favor or God's blessing in your life by your goodness, you'll realize that you'll never be good enough. And then you'll start thinking negatively. Everything that happens, you're wondering, is it because I'm not good enough? This bad happened in my life. Is God punishing me because I wasn't good enough? You'll you'll never be satisfied. You'll never think you're good enough. You'll, You'll never think that I've repented deeply enough. Oh, I need to continue just to to grovel and cry out because I've sinned so deeply against him and, 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 and I have to keep on trying so he can forgive me. And if you continue to do that, if you continue to, to, to cling on to your works, you may not rebel like the son. You may not go back and, 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 and say, forget the faith. I'm no longer a follower of Jesus, but I'm telling you something far worse can come your way. You'll become judgmental and unforgiving. And that toxicity will consume all of who you are. If you hold on to the works that you think you can do to get God's approval, you will become a vampire. Luke 15, 32. The father says, it was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost. Say lost. He was lost and is found. The rebellious son was lost, but he was found by Jesus. This religious son is also lost. But he doesn't know it. 
See, we can hold on to so much pain of what they've done or what they failed to do that when the miraculous happens in someone's life, we, we can't even celebrate that. When they come back home, when they repent and they realize I've done wrong because we've held on to that hurt and pain for so long, we, 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 we can't receive them back. I want you to understand this. And listen, church, I'm not trying to beat us up today. But I love us. I love you. I love God. And you need to, you need to understand what's at stake when you don't release. I want you to write this down. We can get lost if we don't let go and let God go and do what he wants to do in us. We can get lost if we don't let go of our pain, let go of those people, let go of our striving for perfect works, to let go of that and let God go and do what he wants to do in our lives. To repent and to rejoice and to receive. We can hold on for so long to what we think our works are that will save us, that we'll miss what really saves us, which is his love. And likewise, we can hold on so long to what we expect them to do because they didn't do this prior that we'll again miss the only thing that can save us from what they've done to us. It's not them paying it back. It's not them groveling. It's his love for us. His love is the only thing that can set our hearts free. And if we hold on to it, we become lost. We lose sight of God's grace. We lose sight of his forgiveness. We become unloving. 1 John 4.20. This is a hard word. John says, if anyone says, I love God. Anyone love God? Come on, make some noise if you have love for our Heavenly Father. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I love you, God, but I can't stand them. And what they did to me, you understand it. Yeah, yeah, but if you hate them, you cannot love God. For he who does not love his brother who he can see can't love God who he has not seen. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jesus took the 500 plus commandments that were created and boiled them down to two. Love your father, your God, with all of who you are, all your mind, soul, and strength. The second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Literally the world, for God so loved the world. It's your brother. It's your sister. It's that pastor that hurts you. It's that coworker that did you wrong. He gives us command to, to love God and to love our neighbors. And Jesus, he ends this parable of this older, more mature son. He ends it abruptly. There is no conclusion that we read in this story. And I believe it's because he wants us to understand that this is far more significant than the first brother's offense. Again, the first brother knew that he was lost so he came home. This second son, he's been home, but he doesn't realize that he is lost. He doesn't understand that he's missed his identity. He thought that all of his doing would make him loved when the reality is it's God's love to begin with. First John 4, 19. 
The Bible tells us we love because he first loved us. And this is the key. God created love. God instilled love in us. God dictates what love is. Love is not simply a a feeling. It is an action. And because of God's love, we can love other people. Because God has had grace and love on us, that love will transform us to love other people. Now, I'm not saying you don't have faith, but I'm saying if you have trouble loving other people, it's because you're not going to the source of your love. He can give you love for them even though you don't love them. Because he is love. And his love is not just for those who deserve it. His love is for all. And I know a lot of people in this church, last week we said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be those people. We're not going to kick people out of the covenant, banish them forever and say, you know, they are cursed and we don't speak of their name anymore. Some of you, I'll just be honest. Some of you guys left during the pandemic and you may or may not have sent me a nasty email as to why. And I see you here on Sunday. And what do I do? You don't have to raise your hand if it's to you. I say, how are you doing? We miss you. Is that easy for me? No. But are you loved by the Father? Yes. Is it our responsibility to embrace and to receive you, to equip you so that you can be all that God wants you to be? Yes. I know too many Christians who say they love God but do not love people. They say they're followers of Jesus but they don't love people. And again, I understand that the pain they might have caused is indescribable. What they did to your family feels irreparable, incomprehensible. I understand the pain is significant for some of us. I know some people in here, church people, have caused such severe emotional trauma spiritual trauma in your life. People have sucked away so much of your happiness. And so like I said last week, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I don't want this to be religion. I don't want you to simply follow what the pastor says. I want you to follow what the Holy Spirit is leading you in your heart according to his word and his command. I can't tell you to do anything. I can't convince you enough to love them. If I could, you would have done it. So I'm not going to tell you, you need to invite them back into your home. You need to throw a party for the person who stabbed you in the back. But what I will say as we begin to conclude today, that if we don't learn how to release them and receive them back when they repent, it will continue to suck your life away. The poison that they may have placed in your veins will eventually overtake you until you become what you hate. I'm telling you, the bitterness that will grow up inside of you because of the unforgiveness that you hold onto will overpower the initial offense of what they did for you. So we have to learn to let go. We have to learn to release them. And when they come back, to be able to receive them.
And since I can't convince you of that, I want to let God's word speak. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said this. He said, you have heard it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Sounds good, right? Love the people who love me. You banish me, you're dead to me. But Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and what? Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. How can we love our enemies? By praying for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So that you don't forget the identity that you are his beloved. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. In doing so, you are living like the Father and you are reminding yourself of the identity that you are one of his children so that you can be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So I want to summarize everything that we've talked about over the past several weeks in Vampires in this final point, okay? Real release is this. Real release is consistent prayer. Say prayer. Prayer. Say consistent prayer. This isn't popcorn prayer. This isn't pray one service or pray when you remember. Real release is consistent prayer for the people that cause our problems until, listen to this, until we're at a place where we can bless and celebrate them. Can you pray for them? Can you celebrate when God does something significant in their lives? If you can't, you haven't released them. Releasing them is not letting them go and ignoring them and pushing under the rug and unfriending them. Because I'm telling you, it is inevitable. One day you will see them again. One day you will bump into them in Target several years later. And what happens in that moment is what has been stewing in your heart for that time. If you get anxious or angry, you have not released them yet. And that poison has just been killing you. Real release is consistent prayer. For the people that cause our problems until we're at a place where we can bless them, where we can celebrate them. A few weeks ago, my friend, Pastor Garland here, he reminded me of such a profound truth. He said, you can't love somebody unless you pray for them. And he wasn't just talking about our enemies. He was talking about people in general. We cannot love people with the heart of our heavenly father. A love that speaks to husbands that you will lay down your life for your bride. A love that speaks to wives that you will submit to your husbands. Ew, I don't want to say, this is 2022. We're not going to submit to anybody. It's a mutual release and respect and submission that comes from the father's love. You can never love that way if you don't start praying for somebody. You can't celebrate them if you haven't released them. You you, you can't receive them if you haven't released them and prayed for them. And so how do we get there? Jesus says to, to love your enemies and pray. Pray for those who persecute you. How do we get there? By praying for them. We gotta start praying for the people consistently and not, God, forgive them for what they've done. But Lord, bless them because that's who you are. We can't get there without prayer. And I want to make this clear. Listen, Pastor Johnny will come another day this year and he'll he'll talk about how we deal with some of this stuff more intentionally. 
After this series, we're gonna be spending several weeks talking about the power of praying and fasting, and that's gonna help us. And then after Easter, we're starting a, a series on, on mental health that's gonna help us deal with some of these issues. But I just wanna make this clear because releasing them doesn't mean that you're acknowledging that their sin wasn't a problem. It was a problem. What they did was wrong and sinful. So it's not, it's, not, it's not releasing them of their sin. It's not denying the wrongdoing. It was wrong. It's not diminishing the pain. This is hard for us. <laughs> this has been so hard for me because the pain is real. You hurt me, people. Pastor, you spoke things over my life and my family that I would not expect from an enemy. And you're a man of God. Or you're my family. You're my flesh and blood. And you would, you would steal from our account. You would treat your mother this way. You would speak about my parents this way. The pain is significant. It's real. Releasing them is not forgetting what they've done. We're not God. We cannot forgive and forget. But what we can do is pray. To remember and to pray and to bless them in our prayer. Releasing them is to give them up to God so he can transform them. Because that's the greatest blessing of our Heavenly Father. That we get his salvation power in our lives. And so I want us to do that today. I want us to start by praying for them. On the, the, the seats that you sat in, there's another release card. This is our year of release. And several weeks ago, we released the, the, the next thing to God. For some of you, it was your health. For some of you, it was your family. For some of you, it was a job. It was an opportunity. And there, when you walk out of the auditorium on the right-hand side, you'll see that release box. And I encourage you to do as we do. When you walk in, just stretch out your hand and say, Lord, as we release to you, would you just respond by your grace? But today we have another opportunity to release to God. Some of you, you have that person who has sucked your life away. I want you to write their name down right now. Maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a whole denomination. I hate them! But I want you to write their name down and then fold that. And on our way out today, you can drop that in there. And I just believe that this year, God, as we release to him, that he's gonna reconcile relationships, that he's gonna restore our first love, that we're gonna be at a place where we can receive these vampires back into the coven, into the family, and learn how to hug them. But I'm telling you, it cannot start unless we begin to pray for them. They may never repent and return. Even still, we bless them. Why? Because it sets us free. We let go of them and we, we give them to our Heavenly Father so He can transform them. And when we do that, we're not allowing the, 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 the crippling power of unforgiveness or anger to capture our hearts any longer. 
Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.